Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. We will be speaking to uh, the very incredible Tony Tan. Proper introduction will happen uh, if you haven't heard of this, uh, this gentleman. Uh, Tony Tan, he has an amazing book about Hong Kong. So we might flog a little bit of that. But we're also going to talk about making um, dumplings and the sensational, the redoubtable, I would even say, Joe Barrett from Oak Ridge. Not just Oak Ridge, but uh, we're going to talk to Sourdough with her. You are listening to 3 RFM. i got Carl. Hello, Cam. He's next door. We're looking at each other through the glass. Through double glazing. Triple double, glazing. Triple glazing. <laughs> uh, doing everything right here in beautiful downtown East Brunswick. People have had to become a little bit more self-sufficient. People have also had to cook to save their minds. And I would say one of the great therapeutic things you can do is to get your hands into some dough and knead it up and make a beautiful, beautiful uh, loaf of bread. I think someone said it's like winning the winning tats or something as it comes out. And I think that person who I am uh, badly quoting, of course, is the legendary, the fabulous Joe Barrett. Hello. How about that I for a I big... I'm, I'm like... pumping up the intro, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like winning jackpot. Well, it was winning the jackpot, that's right. <laughs> I had a, a quick look because you, you glorious thing, I didn't actually get to see you, you dropped in a couple of your mags into me here at the studio and I'm spewing I didn't get to see you. Shane saw you and said, yeah, there's this woman, she's still in whites. So have you just come <laughs> from work or something? No, no, uh, I've got my day off today, but I ducked out to grab some baguettes and then on my way back, dropped in some mags. But, I mean, I'm hoping to get a loaf of bread in return. So. <laughs> okay. Joe, um, there's people that might not have uh, met you or know you, um, but um, how do we introduce you? Just in um, amazing chef, worked overseas... People might have heard you uh, of you because of the work you've been doing in a glorious place, which I'm, I was really, really sad to see you hadn't been able to visit. Oak Ridge Estate. Yeah. Or Oak Ridge Winery? Is it, um, Oak, is it estate or winery? Oak Ridge Winery. Yeah, winery, then, that's um, it. We've got the restaurant attached to that, which, uh, yeah, during stage four lockdown, just to keep because wine production still happens and they're still pruning and things like that to do. So mm. uh, the kitchen team has been steering clear just to make sure everyone's safe. But oh. I hear that the kitchen garden's still being used to feed everyone, so that is really nice. And it would be beautiful in the valley at the moment with uh, spring and everything blossoming. Oh, and it's been a good winter, so the dams are full, the hills are green. You must miss your garden, Joe. I do. We were really lucky. Um, we did get to do uh, a bit of pruning uh, to spend some time outside, which was nice because that's one thing I've realised in lockdown and because I live in the city and haven't been commuting out to the country is how much you do rely on getting outside. And I think with the beautiful weather coming, I know whatever happens today with announcements and what not, at least the weather's improving, which is great in Melbourne. Yeah, well, look at you, glass half full girl. 
<laughs> love, love that. But, um, geez, you must miss the garden because I, I know that um, since you've been there, the amount of uh, vegetables under cultivation has grown incredibly. Um, and are they sending you photos and stuff? Are you able to sort of keep track vicariously that way? It was um, really interesting because it was five years of being at Oak Ridge in August and I had a look at some uh, photos and there was no garden when Matt and I started. So to look back and now see that there's a garden and a greenhouse and another garden. And all that, all that citrus that, that you... Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Well, you, you planted a fair bit of citrus there that um, would be coming good by now too, eh? Yeah, it was really interesting because there was a, a small orchard just to the side of the restaurant, which was there before we started. And you know how fruit trees take a little while to produce delicious fruit? Uh-huh. Now they're kind of heaving and producing a lot of fruit and very tasty. And when you see all the blossoms coming out, especially, I mean, citrus is already happening, but, you know, pears and quinces and, you know, they're all starting to pop. So mm. it's pretty exciting. Yeah, but isn't it? Yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a shame you can't be there to, to see it. But you have been keeping yourself busy. Um, you are a, a bit of a force of nature, Joe. and uh, one thing you'll never die wondering, and you keep going, and, um, <laughs> and, you're, and you're having a go. <laughs> um, Definitely. Where, where have you been working in town? Because you said, you, which bakery have, been, have you been working at? So I've been doing some shifts at Falco on Smith Street, um, which is part owner Christine Tran, who we actually worked together at Tivoli Road back when it was (gasps) Mojita Bakery. So we kind of started at the same time, and then Christine has kind of travelled the world baking and then has come back and with the guys from Bar Liberty has opened um, Falco. It's pretty nice to come back and... I mean, we, I met her over in San Fran and we cooked at Tartine, um, which is a bakery over there, and then to come back and to be baking together is really nice. You know, it's always something to learn, so she's the master of dough. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, isn't that great? Oh, yeah. my God. And and you have been imparting your wisdom um, through some interesting publications. Um, we call this, it's it's the, the Have a Go, Have a Go series. Having your series, yeah. yeah, and we t- we talked amazing. we talked a while ago. We had you on. We were talking about making feta, and the great news is that you've just dropped uh, the Sourdough. new one. <laughs> yeah. A loaf whose time has come again, <laughs> <laughs> which I actually thought was going to be really easy to write. Yeah, and then you know after baking bread daily for the last eight or so years. Yes. And it was so hard. Oh, what was hard about it? Uh, I think there was a bit of pressure to, you know, all my baker buddies. I wanted to be really technically correct, but at the same time, <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, sourdough has so many variables and such a huge topic. Because it is, it's that Venn mm. diagram of science and feel, isn't it? Mm. I think the best thing about bread and sourdough and what kind of released me in the end of feeling quite a lot of pressure was that bread is such an expression of yourself. So even if your loaf doesn't look beautiful, you can still be proud that you have nurtured a sourdough starter and turned it, you know, into a loaf of bread that you might share with people. You know, it's still really satisfying even if it 
doesn't look amazing, um, mm. still create something. And 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 also just the way that it it perfumes the house. There is nothing better than the smell of bread. Oh yeah. Oh man. So good. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a god. <laughs> Before we get it, get into the the uh, the idea of sourdough, I was just wondering: Have you ever noticed a a variation in flavour due to the actual starter? Definitely. Ooh. So, I mean, working at Tivoli Road, uh, yes. so you have a wet starter, which is your mother or leaven. There's kind of quite a few names for it. Mm. And that's where you might add 50% water and 50% flour, and it's quite acidic. And then in the have-a-go issue of sourdough, we actually change up like that traditional idea of a wet starter and do what I call a stiff leaven or a stiff starter, Ooh. where you put Con- a bit more contra- flour in it. Are you just, my God, <laughs> it's nearly 25 past 12, and uh, <laughs> Joe's being very controversial <laughs> with the dry starter. Why the dry starter, Joe? Well, a few reasons. So it does give the bread a really mellow, buttery texture, but also starting out, you get a greater kind of time frame of when you can use it. So you don't have to become a slave to, oh, crap, I can't go out for my hour exercise right now because i got to feed I've the bitch. I've got to make my bread. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm paraphrasing <laughs> Bourdain from the, when I think it was the first line from Kitchen Confidential about feeding the sourdough. <laughs> so it's it's not quite as a demanding mistress or master? No, I feel like that might be what turns people off from either continuing to make their own bread or getting started is the time commitment. But realistically, your contact time with most things that are artisan and cemented is pretty short. Mm. It's the time that you need to leave it to do its own thing. Yep. The same with cheese and, you know, charcuterie. And um, your contact time is pretty limited, and so the stiff starter just gives you even a greater amount of freedom and produces a pretty tasty loaf. Wow, the liberating starter. That sounds great. Well, look, this is a, a good thing if, if folks just hang on to that. So tell us a little bit about um, we've, we've gone into the ooh, the idea of the, the starter Tell us a, bit, a little bit about your um, publication. I'd like to let people know how they might be able to access your wisdom. So we are online. You can come to the website, which is com, and purchase online. And then we do have a few retailers, so Books for Cooks, uh, Be Sustainable, kind of in your hood. Where, where's uh, Be Sustainable? It's on uh, Ligon. Oh, Ligon, okay. Or Nickinson, yeah. I, um, I certainly know Books for Cooks. You can buy your bannetons and your bread products and um, things like that. So we are getting out there and doing a bit more of the retail stuff, but uh, we also can post to you. So I think the thing was to have a publication that's beautiful. So um, teaming up with Jana Langhorst to do all the photography and um, I think the tactile thing of feeling and touching a book is really nice because, I mean, you're cooking and that's what you do. So, now, this, um, is, this is a great... Yeah coffee table brag book I would actually <laughs> say to people it's like check this out leave this with the architectural digest and use it too of course um, but may I compliment you on the layout <coughs> the photographs and most importantly the, the, the substance of the, the publication because um, this is good but for, for noobs out there in the time we have 
what is the notion? How do you, what do you make a sourdough and f- what are the most important parts of it? The most important thing is temperature and it was really interesting when speaking with people who kind of make bread already. Mm. Um, a bit of the feedback was, oh, you know, they're up in Queensland or New South Wales where it's a bit warmer mm-hmm. and to have sourdough in Victoria where our temperature is so variable and up and down yeah. kind of reminded me that you... To ferment something, you have to keep it in the temperature range. So some of the things are temperature, and then of course, like any cooking, it's your ingredients. So using beautiful flour, which we were really lucky, we went and visited Jason Cotter Turong Farm down on the peninsula, who is growing beautiful wheat and um, stone milling. So not forgetting that you know flour is an ingredient, and it's fresh and it's alive and it's got enzymes, and that's going to affect the flavour of your loaf as well. Okay. Some of the two major points is temperature and ingredients, I think. Bloody hell. All right, well, you've just set up two huge problems for for the average Joe, not you, Joe, but the average <laughs> Joe out there because it's like if you go to the super, can you get good flour from a supermarket? Question. You can come to the website and buy flour, um, and there's a lot of bakeries selling beautiful flour. I mean, Selco sells flour, loaf of bread, they sell flour. I mean, and I feel like that is part of the responsibility and part of the movement of Have A Go is, you know, kind of asking for those beautiful products and um, mm, getting mm. the demand up to support our local community of farmers and farming producers and okay. realising that um, these things are products, you know, that are grown all right, free kick, Joe, again, because you just sort of mentioned it over. Right, folks out there, did you get the pen? Did you get the paper? Have you opened up an, <laughs> a new note on your on your iPhone or device? Do it, um, and let's do it again, Joe. Tell us, where can we get good wheat, good flour, sorry? So, in Victoria, we've got Jason Cotter at Turong Farm, um, and he, uh, he's retailing at a number of supermarkets, but... Um, Loaf of bread and at uh, Felco, you can come and get some flour. We're selling Felco, yeah. some of his flour on the website. Yes. James the Miller as well from Rolling Stone, he's starting to set up um, selling retail flour and probably more than likely going to see a few subscriptions to flour, which is really exciting. Just really pushing that, um, you know, it's full of nutrients, it's a grass, it's not necessarily just a bag that sits on the shelf. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things. Oh, Joe, I'm so miss coming to Oak Ridge and seeing you guys and drinking <laughs> Chardonnay and, and, you know, all those sort of things. But one of the things I used to love was um, uh, catching you at your beautiful flour mill, um, this beautiful Austrian... God, I bet you miss that, huh? Do, do you, do you, we okay, do have sorry. a small mill at home. Yeah, okay. but, uh, but uh, really lucky. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but that, that was the thing. In One of the things to really, really unlock the flavour... And the nutrition of uh, of this is to to mill your own your mill your own wheat, yeah. Mm. But I suppose not many people can. You can, um, you know, captures all the enzymes when you're milling fresh, and you get a lot more flavour. It is really active, but flour really only has about a proper shelf life of about three months. Um, There's a really cool kind of movement happening called grains. So grains with a Z. And it's a kind of beta movement just around locally, local grain economy and um, 
you know, knowing where your products come from, I think it happens within yeah. a lot of different areas, like the meat and vegetable community, well, dairy community, but flour is also one of them. It's, it's, it's caught up, hasn't it? Yeah, because the first thing was the, was all about, the, you know, the, the narrative of the protein when, mm. you know, people came to you at, at, the, at the table. Um, and um, what about for, for those – we've got about three minutes, Joe. So if someone wanted to start a starter, what do they do? Start a starter, you just mix some flour and water together yes. and then it just naturally captures the yeast spores um, within the flour and on, you know, on the grain, this natural bacteria, but also in your kind of surrounding atmosphere. Mm. So you would mix those together, yes. and in, in your first day, you may or may not start to get a little bit of bubble activity. Something is actually happening, and then the next day, you add a little bit more flour and water. You do feed that it. for a couple of days, and mm. yeah, you feed it. It's like having a dog called Pickles. Tamagotchi in a bowl. <laughs> Yeah, my Tamagotchi. And, and what about... Yeah, you don't water the Tamagotchi. You'll short-circuit and, and kill it. And it's not good. Um, but now, uh, and what are your tips about um, uh, maintaining a constant temperature? Because that would be a pretty important one for people, I would imagine. It is. So what I do at home is I turn my oven on just yeah. to about 50 degrees. Yes. And then leave it on for five minutes and then turn it off. And yes. cover the bowl and pop it in there. So you can even just put your oven light on. It's kind of to reduce the draft coming past. And yeah. I do that, or I can fill up the sink with hot water and put a bowl upside down and rest your other bowl on top of that and lay a tea towel over it. And I mean, you could take it into the shower and put it in the bathroom with you. <laughs> I want to play. Come, my little, my precious. And I'm, you're saying, out of the way, Matt. Get out of the shower. I got. I got. I got to rest. Rest the starter. Um, that sounds good. I sort of had an idea, but then of course I've completely forgotten about it. Uh, completely. Well, oh, the chef once who um, put it, he went to bed with his sourdough starter. He put it in a jar and literally put it in bed with him. My, my precious. Oh my god. You know what? You know whatever gets you through the night, buddy. Um, but uh, another spot that I, I would recommend is, um, you know, where you keep all, um, underneath the sink. Um, oh, yeah, too. You, you, can, you can actually, what you do is if you fill the sink with hot water, you've got radiated heat that's coming from the top, which is sort of warming that space, and you can have a bit of a constant there. That's a great idea. That's not bad. Um, Joe, one more time. How do we find your awesome publications? Because the first one was Feta, which was amazing, and uh, this one is Sourdough, and <laughs> I know it's the no one's going to be after that, and you want to be on board for that one, let me tell you. <laughs> so head to uh, com. Yep. or head to Books for Cooks or Be Sustainable, the Q Club. Um, they're all retailers that we have selling the magazine as well. Yeah, and Falco, Falco Bakery. Don't forget yeah. Falco, and you can uh, get a yeah. get a sack of wheat through the mail. It's going to be hard to get it through the letterbox, but hey, it's worth it. <laughs> um, Joe, it is always such a delight to talk with you. I haven't seen Matt for ages. Um, your uh, long-standing partner, give him a big hug for me. Miss I you. Will. Can't wait to have Did some food do. with you. <laughs> Thank you again, um, and we'll speak soon. Thanks, Cam. Joe Barrett, ladies and gentlemen, it's called Have a Go uh, Publications. 
master baker. God, this this woman cooks so well. And we have a very, very special guest on now, ladies and gentlemen, Tony Tan. He's one of Australia's most respected culinary teachers and chefs and and he specialises in Chinese, Nonya, Indonesian, Korean, Cambodian, Thai, Vietnamese, Indian, Singapore, Malaysian, and cross-cultural cooking. A graduate in Renaissance history and Chinese language from Monash, he is our Renaissance man of du jour, Tony Tan. It's an absolute honour and pleasure to have you on the show. After that introduction, I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, God, that's scary. I knew you'd love it. <laughs> no, it's scary. Yeah, well, it's thank just... Thank you so much. What it does is it acknowledges your incredible accomplishments and your passion and commitment to this industry. And um, it's wonderful to have you on the show. How's Trentham? Well, I love Transom. I love it so very much. Mm. I think that it's it's just like one of the most beautiful, beautiful places that we could ever possibly have in Victoria. It's a tree change, and how long has that been going for now? Well, it's just been a little bit over a year, but that's... Um, wow, that's, it's been that long already. Wow. Yes, can't believe that, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've had two seasons of winters up here. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and every day I get a bit, you know... I, I just can't get over it, how beautiful it all is. Well, you know, the, so. the rhythms of the season to be right in a part of that is, uh, is, is a wonderful thing. Um, we were just speaking to the, the fabulous Joe Barrett. God, God mm-hmm. bless her. Um, yes. And um, it seems to me that uh, two of the things that so many people are getting into in this, this lockdown that we're all experiencing down here in this state, uh, one is sourdough. And um, the other one uh, is dumplings. Yes. And uh, I see from this rather wonderful, wonderful, wonderful tome that uh, one of many, actually, that you've published, Hong Kong Food City by Tony Tan, um, published by Murdoch Books. Um, You talk about uh, there's a little bit of a, a dumpling recipe in there, but I thought maybe we've got about 15 minutes, Tony. And mm-hmm. I thought we can talk a little bit about, first of all, this, this book that you've produced, um, Hong Kong as an idea and how it's evolved in a culinary way. And maybe just uh, if we can talk about how we can help people to become a nine-pleat master in their dumplings. <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, the reason why I wrote that book is because I just happen to love Hong Kong really very much. You know, if, if ever, if, if there's one city that you've got to go to for, for Chinese food, particularly, mm. it's Hong Kong. Yeah. Because it's so accessible, you know, and most people speak English for one thing. And also at the same time, you don't have to pay through your nose to go and eat there. Yes. All you really need to do is just, you, you just like, you know, um, you go to Samsui Po, which is one of, in one of the neighbors in Kowloon uh, Peninsula or over in, in uh, over, on the Kowloon side, there's there's a place which is called Samsui Po, and mm-hmm. you get some of the best best dumplings that you can possibly have, and it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. So you know, and and from that experience alone, you know, I've learned how to sort of understand the deep seated culture that 
the Chinese Riviera and have for uh, dumplings. And of course, you know, you don't really have to fold nine pleats, put it that way. <laughs> because yeah. when I first started, I couldn't even fold two pleats, yes. all you know. So, you know, and, and it, it's such an intricate part of, um, of Chinese food culture as well, because, you see, the, the lovely thing about dumplings in places like Hong Kong and other parts of Asia with a large Chinese population is they have like, you know, 200 dumplings. No, sorry, I'll take that back. Uh, they have a, a they can make two different, 200 different kinds of dumplings, Whoa. but in a session they might be able, to, or in, in a restaurant they might be able to serve anything from 30 to 60 varieties of dumplings. Whoa. And that's, Yes, and that's where it's really very exciting. So, yeah. you know, there, there, is, there is one place which is called one, one Tim Sum, which I think I mentioned in my book, mm-hmm. you know, and that's over in over on one Thai side. And you go inside there, and of course nobody speaks English, but yet at the same time there are things that are both, the menu is both in English as well as in Chinese. And so you just have got to tick whatever you want, you know, and then they'll just bring the dim sum over to you. And well, then, we, then there is the other, there, there are, of course, dumpling palaces or dim sum palaces yes. where, you know, you still find a traditional push cart that will go around and there's, there's sing out, you know, whatever that's on offer in the typical sing-song manner, like, hmm. uh, That's what I want now. Pardon? I want some chasubao now. Excuse my you pronunciation. Want some now. Yeah, excuse yes. my pronunciation. I should just preempt that because I know you'll slap my wrist for terrible pronunciation. I will never be able to slap Cameron Smith <laughs> on his wrist. <laughs> but uh, that's that's it's another thing that I'm sure that so many of us here in in Melbourne have that tradition of going to Yamcha and having dim sum. Yes. And we have the Tim Ho Wan here now, which started off as a little hole in the wall in Hong Kong and, and got a Michelin star, for goodness sake. Yes, yes, yes. If you ever go to the Tim Ho Wan in Sham Shui Po, it's like chalk and cheese, put it that way. But it's really, really, really very good. Mm. Uh, it's, it's one of those defining uh, Tim Sum moments. But having said that, you know, you can go to other places like... Like I just mentioned, there is one dim sum in in Hong Kong that you should actually make a note of going because it's really that that good. And there's another place which is called Dim Dim Sum Sum. So it's say that again. Dim Sum, but you just repeat it: Dim Dim and Sum Sum. Oh, dim Dim Sum Sum. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and that's another wonderful place to go to as well for for dim sum. Why? Dim why? Sum is not, why is that one so good? Because they are able to sort of serve. Certain items which are not listed in some of the other places. Mm. You see, the, the, the beauty about dim sum is it is really very much dependent on the creativity of the dim sum master. Mm. So, the like you know nowadays you know you might be able to go and have dim sum that's made from foie gras, for instance, you know, in some very very um, high end places. Yeah. Or that you might be able to have dim sum made with truffles because. As you know, truffles exist in China. Yes. Even though it is not the real truffle as we know of truffles, but it's no, there. So it's they make, it's they not they the Chuba Melanosporum. Yeah, yeah. 
So you yeah. can, and and that is it. I mean, it is it's it's a little treasure that is encapsulated, isn't it? That's sort of the the whole notion of it, and the fact that we have dumplings all around the world. Every just about every culture has made a dumpling, but I would say that no culture has elevated it to such a high art and expression. I think it's a lot to do with what I call the Chinese obsession with food. Yes. And that, and that, and that you know, no, no, at no time in a day will they not think or talk about food. Uh, food, yes. It's always <laughs> close, to, close to mind, yes. Yes. I mean, oh, is it? Oh, that's good to know. Mm. Well, it looks as though that you've got to come up to train some for a dim sum session with me then. Oh, are you, are you um, once the, the lockdown happens, you're going to start cooking school up there? Well, as soon as lockdown is over, then, mm. then that's going to happen. But at, in the meantime, you know, if you watch my Instagram post, yes. you know, I talked about um, I talked about Chasi Pao the other day. Yeah, and it was incredible. I've had nearly a thousand likes on that one. Oh, you better explain so, to people what is Chasi Pao, just so that people who might not have heard or experienced it. Okay. Chasi Pao is, in English, I guess the best thing is to, dis- to describe is this barbecue pork. And, you know, it's a barbecue pork that you usually see outside a lot of um, um, Chinese restaurant windows. It's usually next, and it's between it the duck and made with the crispy pork. pork. Oh, sorry, okay. And it's marinated. Mm-hmm. And then after, after that, then that's put into the oven to roast until it, it's really beautifully glossy. In fact, now that you've just mentioned it, yeah. you know, I've got to go and make some more. So by the time when, when COVID is, uh, when lockdown is over, you can come out and have a taste of that. Oh, I want to. And then from that, from that piece of pork, it's chopped up into pieces. And then it's, you know, X number of things in very, very similar ingredients like onions and oyster sauce and so on like that. Yes. It's being made into uh, a bun, which is a yeasted bun. And then after that, then it's steamed. The, the bun is steamed and you've got chassis bao. And you've made it easier for people too because um, that pastry can be pretty hard because sometimes it has lye in it, does it not? And that's what sort of makes it break so magnificently on the top. Yes, but I make sure that, you know, you don't have to put lye into it. Oh, and so, you know, these are ingredients that you and I can find in the supermarket, put it that way, or just in any Chinese grocer. Thank so you, it's Tony. it's really very, very simple. It's not that difficult to make at all. But once you've actually made your, your own at home, then you find that, you know, it's not difficult at all. And then... You put in you you any excess you just put inside the freezer and then you can pull it out whenever you feel like having a chasu bao. Beautiful dumplings, though. Well, I mean, you know, the, one of the easiest dumplings to make is siu mai, and I was really very fortunate in the sense that yesterday I had an amazing surprise delivery from a very dear friend of mine, Jason Louis from Flower Drum. Oh, okay. and, yes. And I nearly fainted. In fact, I became terribly emotional because I realized that, <laughs> you know, I went into, like we all do, we go into 
some sort of, a, you know, stoic living about, you know, yes. what's happening in Melbourne. And so, but then you realize that, you know, there are some wonderful things in Melbourne that you miss out on because of the restriction. Yes. So I invited a friend of mine to come and join me to eat some of the dim sum. And one of, and his name is Trevor. And so um, Trevor came and helped me eat some of that beautiful siumai and the beautiful hagao. Lucky you know. Trevor. Yeah, lucky Trevor, yeah. Mm. Uh, but he, he, he was, he's a neighbor, so, you know, it's quite easy for him to sort of trot over and, yep. and eat, put it that way. And so we had some stunning siumai, which is, uh, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky here. No. Just because I do have a very diabolical streak, if you haven't worked that one out yet. <laughs> yeah, really. Go on. <laughs> and we've got about three minutes, just so you know, Tony. Okay. So the, the siumai, which is steamed pork and prawn dumplings, mm. is almost as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. But but the great thing is we can now get wonton wrappers and um, it's it's a lot easier for um, for the skippy cook to... To make dumplings at home, is it not? Yes, yes. It, it, it isn't really that difficult. I mean, you know, once you know how to make a few, mm. you know, you just keep, you know, graduating to uh, graduating to more and more difficult ones and more fanciful ones. Yeah. So the easiest to get yourself into that headspace is starting off with siu You just get your dumplings, dumpling pastry from just about any any Chinese or uh, Asian. Grocery, and you, and then you just proceed from there. And you use the, and the, the siu mai. It's, it's also mentioned in my book, you know. So of course, if you anybody's will... got my book, there, by all means, go ahead and make it. And you can also even do uh, this almost like a scallop hagao type. Uh, the, Correct. The, yeah, there's one there. So, um, so are you ra- no, 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 no. Wait, Tony. I do have a, a proper question: the round or the square one for the sumo? I, well, the, the square ones, because the round ones are actually making, uh, they, they've got a much thicker skin, so the, the square ones are much easier to handle. Good. And also at the same time, when you are actually steaming it, you know, it, the, 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 the pastry virtue just clings to the, the filling. So, you know, it, the, the, the feature behind, the idea behind it is, is because the pastry is so very light. Okay. So you know, yeah. Tony, I'll uh, I'll summarise uh, from the uh, the the key to a good dumpling is the quality of the ingredients, the correct, correct. pinching method, and most importantly, in about uh, twenty seconds, a good amount of bounce. Yes, so true, mm. so true. Well, I hope to see you up here. Okay, so let me let me plug your book. Let me plug your book one more time. It's called Hong Kong Food City. Michael Harden, the great Michael Harden, said uh, when we first went into lockdown, one of the things he was going to do was to cook every dish from your book. That's the esteem that Michael Harden has for it. Um, This is recommended by Monsieur Smith here behind the microphone. Great book because you are awesome, Tony. Thank you so very much for having me on your show, but I don't know whether I'm awesome or not. But I'd love to catch up with <laughs> the great Michael Harden soon, so therefore we can sort of jump on him and ask him whether he virtually sort of cook every Done. recipe from my book. We can have <laughs> thank the you. Negroni challenge. Um, thank yes. you, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. See you soon. 
Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 